0: Welcome to the That Sounds Fun Podcast. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and I am so happy to be here today. I hope you are having a great day. Man, we have had some really great episodes in the last few weeks. I'm having the best time. It is so fun. And you know how much I absolutely love talking about sports. I have not started my sports podcast yet, but you know it's in my heart. It is so in my heart, especially after talking to Brad Luminick a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard that episode, you need to back up and grab that one and listen But especially after talking to Brad, I am like feeling the sports podcast coming. I just want to. That way you guys don't always have to hear me talk about sports if you don't want to. But I am um, excited about that idea. So all the more reason that I was excited that this week's interview is with an athlete, a friend of mine who we grew up in the same town. Her name is Mo Isom. She's an incredible author, speaker, a New York Times bestselling author, which is just an incredible honor and so, so fun for her and for all of us who are on her team, all of us who are cheering for her. It was just an incredible story of how that came about. But she's also really well known for being a goalkeeper for LSU, for Louisiana State University, and then trying out for their football team as the kicker, as the only female to play on the football team. So, it's a very interesting story. Her book is called Wreck My Life. I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but you should totally get it. And I got to sit down with her. She's in Atlanta. I'm here in Nashville. So we connected and it was really great to get to hear her. She and I have kind of walked this path together for a couple of years. So I was so excited to get to chat with Mo, new wife, new mom, new author, just so many great things. New member of the New York Times bestselling author club. I mean, just an amazing season for her and an incredibly good soccer player. Listen, I've watched the videos. I've heard her talk about it. She's known as around our city and around a lot of places as an incredible soccer player. So that makes me like her all the more. Also, she was on the Ellen show. You've got to Google that. I'll put the link in, but she was on the Ellen show for being a female who tried out for a SEC football team. So, You should Google it. I'll link to it. But so enjoy this conversation with New York Times bestselling author of the book Wreck My Life, Mo Isom. Hi, Mo. Welcome to That Sounds Fun. Welcome to the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Thank
1: you. I have been long awaiting the day to join this podcast because I love this podcast.
0: Oh, you're kind. It's a very, it's one of my very favorite things. I say it a lot, but I totally love it because one of the things I love most in this life is introducing my friends to my friends. Like I love doing that in real life. I love doing that on Twitter. I love doing it. And so the podcast is like this Virtual way that I can actually introduce my real life friends to a bunch of my friends who like to listen. So it's very very fun to me because we're real life friends though. Grew up in the same hometown.
1: Yes, we did. Same church growing up for a little bit there.
0: Everything. Yeah.
1: And I feel like now I don't meet anyone um, in ministry or just in my hometown. It's not like, oh, my goodness, you should know a woman named Annie Downs. I'm like, uh.
0: you're like, uh, she's my dumb. friend. We are already. I, I follow her Let life and try
1: to imitate everything she's doing. No, so one, I know ever. her.
0: Um, I know. I love that part because we literally grew up going to high schools that were next door to each other. And right. and then so to kind of back us up a little bit, have you always wanted to be a writer? Because because your book just came out, Wreck My Life just came out in August Um, But did you always want to be a writer? Has that always been part of the dream?
1: You know, writing was one of those things that I just loved to do, Um, whether it was poetry, whether it was songwriting, just getting the words and sort of that creativity and thought out of my head and onto paper. I loved since I was very young. I even I I will hold Heidi, my mom, to this. Mm -hmm. I wrote a piece in my seventh grade art class. That got a 100 and a special note on it from the teacher because we were writing about the piece of art we saw. And I brought it home to my mom so proud to show her because I loved writing so much. And she made me go back into the teacher and she told the teacher that clearly I had cheated because I couldn't write something that great. Oh, no <laughs> and way. And she made the teacher say where I was sitting, show me, you know, where she was sitting. Could she have cheated off of anything? <gasps> she accused me of cheating. What and middle school? I got school, the best wow. grade in the class. I was at Simpson. Yeah. My teacher vouched for me so hard. And so my mom learned okay, maybe you do love to write, but I don't think I ever thought it could be like a career. It could be such a big part of what I do and a part of my ministry. I was so sports minded and I was so broadcast minded. And, you know, I had all my own thoughts and dreams and plans and Mm -hmm. thought that this, you know, gifting was just sort of a hobby. But I love that God's in the business of using our giftings as so much more than hobbies when we let him.
0: Yeah, um, for sure.
1: And when, yeah, when I started blogging and saw, you know, how God spread that and where he was taking it and then, you know, book conversations started, I was just, it was sort of surreal. It was sort of sort of surreal when your passions and God's plans collide. Sure. Um, and you realize you get to do it in more than just your... Dogs get to hear you read it aloud.
0: <laughs> <Cool>. Right. <laughs> Man. Okay. So one of my very favorite things about you, there's a lot, is your love of soccer, that that was your, like, lifeblood growing up and yes. playing goalkeeper. Tell me why you picked goalkeeper of all the positions on the field.
1: Because I'm crazy. You have to be a rare breed of crazy Serious. to be a goalkeeper. You have to throw yes, yourself. Yes, because you can get
0: injured all the all time. All the yep.
1: time. And I actually have a very low pain tolerance. But I have a streak of crazy that just when you're competing and you're out there, it kind of numbs you to the pain, to the fear. You know, you're throwing yourself in front of players, all the pressures on you. If you mess up, your team loses. If you do well, you're the hero. And it's just this position that is so high intensity, so high pressure, and also so minimal long distance running. And so Ah. I said, put me back there, coach. (laughs) That's where I need to be. I'll take a lap to
0: (laughs) warm up and that'll be the only running I do. Um, How old were you when you started playing goalkeeper?
1: Oh, goodness. I think I was maybe 11 Mm -hmm. or 12 when I actually committed to being a goalkeeper full-time. So younger than that, I would play field and a goal, you know, like every kid did. Um, But it was was early. It was about 11 or 12 that I said, I, you know, solely want to be a goalkeeper. And I started showing up at the training sessions for the 17 and 18-year-old boys and just started training with them. And the coach would like pick me out. Like, what are you
0: doing? Here? <gasps> no you way. Did you just them. show up at the field, like at the yep. rec league field?
1: Yep. Like I'm here. I'm here to train. Because they had, you had your team practices, but then goalie sessions were offered, you know, in addition. Sure. And I wouldn't go to the ones for my my age group. I wanted to go with the 17 or 18 year old boys. And finally I showed up so many times and my dad pushed me out on the field so many times with that group. They're like, oh, okay, just get in here. And no that was way. probably the best thing I could have done because developmentally, I was so outside of my ability and that made me better it helped me grow it taught me and I could hang with him
0: Gosh I was about to say that probably made you an incredibly good goalie when you were playing 12 year old girls the yes. if you can <laughs> if you
1: can save a shot from an 18 year old chest-hair-possessing right. man, right. you can you can easily save a shot from a 12-year-old Yeah, that girl, seventh-grade so. girl's
0: got nothing <laughs> on you. If you've been seniors, if guys who can drive are not <laughs> yeah. getting balls by you, then a 12-year-old's not going to. What made you yeah. pick LSU to go to school?
1: Uh, the Lord. That was not my plan. What was I your plan? I write about it in the book. LSU, it just wasn't on my radar. It wasn't as strong of a program. I... Me and my pride wanted to go to a well-developed program. I wanted the UNC or the UCLA mm. or you know the Duke, the big developed schools and LSU developed I had in trained, their women's soccer. Right, right, yeah. yeah, had had legacies with women's soccer. Um, I, I really wanted. I think initially, for the sake of other people seeing that I was going to that school, you know, sort of the pride of it, I wanted to go there. But LSU recruited so heavily and so passionately, and In their defense, geographically, I had really narrowed down. I wasn't going west coast because I wanted my parents to be able to watch me play. And I hate the cold, so I was not going north. I sort Mm. of narrowed it to the southeast. And, you know, LSU had recruited so heavily, my dad kind of talked me into going on at least a courtesy visit, you know, because they'd been so passionate in recruiting. And I stepped out of the car onto that campus and just fell in love with Baton Rouge, with Louisiana. And furthermore, I fell in love with a coach who really, you know, challenged me in saying, do you want to be a small or a regular size fish in, in a big pond? Do you want to be just another number on a roster of a well-developed program? Or do you want to contribute to the vision of building a legacy at this school? You know, do you oh, want wow. to put in the hard work to contribute to making something great rather than stepping into what is already great? And um. I, he just he sold me and the campus sold me and the people sold me and i i think it was maybe two weeks later that i called him up and committed i didn't take any visits after that i just knew it was where god would have me and um i i actually then worked to graduate high school a semester early so that i could go to college a semester early and train through the spring so i'd be ready oh, by the fall sure. i was i was bought in to to helping the program succeed and i saw the coach's vision and it was really neat to see that play I out. I thought that
0: at Georgia. I remember being like, oh, this just, like, I got to Athens and thinking, oh, this just feels right. Like, yes. this is my spot. I actually thought that to some degree at Sanford University in Birmingham. But then when I got to Georgia, I'd seen Sanford first and almost committed to Samford, and actually was going to play soccer at Sanford, and then oh, ended up what? at Georgia. Yeah. And then when I went to Georgia, I was like, oh, no, this, I know that feeling of, like, stepping on campus and being like, oh, this is the right spot so okay. what's it been like for you hold yeah. uh, the phone have we never talked about that
1: no we're gonna need to have a separate yeah. phone call about this i didn't know you <laughs> almost played soccer at Sanford.
0: i did i really wanted but I get to get it with uga too well jo- and georgia didn't have a scholarshiping team right and Sanford didn't offer me enough of a ride to make it worth yeah playing for right when and especially when i felt like the lord was kind of pulling me toward athens but um yeah Samford. Yeah. I mean, I loved it and I loved their program and I love their coach. And, but it just wasn't, it wasn't the right fit. And they I wasn't, yeah. as good, I wasn't good enough to get a full ride. Right. So it was like, oh yeah, we'll give you a lot, all the free t-shirts you want. Like you can just have lots of those. <laughs> well, great. And That's come to help with tuition. Um, right. <laughs> What's it like watching what Baton Rouge is going through right now with the flooding? What was that like for you to see that?
1: Oh my goodness. You know, I was actually just talking to my husband the other day about this and then to my mom. The hardest thing about watching all that Baton Rouge has been going through prior to the flooding, all of the racial issues that really yeah. um, you know, grabbed national, international attention in Baton Rouge um, and brought a lot to the forefront of our conversation in this country. That was all happening in Baton Rouge. Um, then all the flooding in Baton Rouge. I think the hardest thing out of all of that was seeing places the people the communities um the culture that i love and know really really um struggling i mean in great need and the fact that i couldn't at that moment uproot and and go help in the in the ways that i wanted to sure um you know we have lives and jobs and a lot going on and um it's it it was really hard and i'm still kind of wrestling with what that needs to begin to look like in my life of really being the hands and feet of Jesus where there's
0: need. Did you feel that though? Did you feel this like if I could, I would pack up and drive there right now?
1: Yes. Yes. Really? And you know, it's really interesting cuz just different seasons of life the answer to that is very different. And and as a mom, as um, you know, a mom to a 9-month-old right now, that's the season that I'm in and um, you know, traveling and speaking and commitments to a ministry that way, commitments to a husband. It was this sort of a little bit of a shake of realizing that life is different in this season than it was in singleness. You know, where I could have just picked up and gone. Um, there's more factors to consider in a different season of life, and um, that every each each season has its pros and cons, and each season calls us to really assess what God would call of us and how um, we can make a way. And so, I've actually, <laughs> it's an interesting question to ask. These past few weeks, we've really been starting to pray about. Um not getting into so much routine that we can't respond um you know, or we don't it's out of our comfort zone to respond where Jesus would oh, all sure. and so that's been a whole you know thing going on in my head and my heart and our home but I, I think what was most amazing about all of that was to see from a really intimate view because my whole timeline, my whole Facebook, that's all my Louisiana people oh, and sure. to see how national media wasn't giving it much attention how um, It was really being overlooked, especially the flooding, one of the biggest natural disasters in our country in a while. And people just have Um, not talked about it. They haven't talked about it. And the media wasn't showing it. I had the chance to jump on Fox and Friends and, and, I mean, not Fox and Friends, sorry, Fox Business and shed some light on it. Oh, wow. But that was really one of the few times that I saw any national attention brought to it. But what was amazing was to see that in spite of almost being overlooked and ignored, The way that that Baton Rouge, the people of Louisiana, rallied together to serve one another. They had something called the Cajun Navy. I mean, all these individuals literally picking up their trucks and their boats and and heading out. They called them the Cajun Navy. They were rescuing people all over the region from the rooftops of their houses because, you know, governmental aid wasn't coming fast enough. Um, To see the people rally, to hold on to one another, especially in the wake of the racial tensions to see then the flooding kind of trump all of that, that we are a people, a community, and um, we're going to meet each other's needs. And to see them do that with all racial issues aside, it was just, it was really phenomenal. So that was a long answer to say, it's been a really interesting time to look at Baton Rouge. And I think that we as a nation have a lot to learn from everything going on. And I think that we as a nation and as families have a lot to assess about how we are really living like Christ would call us to live in all means so
0: yeah what would you say what are you seeing in baton rouge that you would think if the whole nation could learn something this is what they should learn
1: Uh, great question um there could be just so many answers to that um because there's just really so many different layers to what's going on but i really hope that the nation would look and see um The selfless laying down of lives of wants, of need to serve one another. You had people who lost everything, everything, and were still helping their neighbors gut their homes, um, you know, get the wet stuff out, seek aid. They were helping, um, you know, praying, gathering, and really becoming sort of this prayer army for their community. And they don't even have anything. They're the ones that are down and out. And they're rallying to support others who are down and out, you know, and to find help um, for themselves as well. And I hope the nation would see that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're people called to be salt and light and hands and feet. And that can be done in, in all capacities. When we're in need ourselves, when we have abundance ourselves, um, it, Baton Rouge was a really beautiful picture of people really loving other people well because there was need that was seen. Um, and like I said, racial divides were trumped. Um, you know, socioeconomic divides were trumped. It was really sort of an equal playing field of people loving people. And um, we need we need a little bit more of that.
0: You know, about six years ago in 2010, we had a flood here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And we had a similar experience where the nation didn't really do very much right. and know very much. But we I mean, I mean, like massive companies gave their employees two days off just to go help clean the areas that were bad. And it was really, we had a similar experience. What you're describing is so much of what I remember from 2010 of going like, well, no one's coming to help us. So the only way this is going to work is if we actually get in our cars and drive to where the flooding was and just get out and start throwing things away for people. Yep, You know, and so we would end up down in Bellevue and in the areas that were flooded and just going like, Oh, there's the guy that lives down the street from me. What's he doing down here? You know? So, yeah, it was just really, it was really interesting.
1: I think it's kind of a beautiful shakeup too, because we can get in sort of the comfort and the flow of, we need the big dogs to care for us. You know, we need um, the government to to step in and help. We need the big and the powerful and the money. And if you actually look scripturally, God says, all you need is me Mm. and I, through my Holy Spirit well in each and every one of you so you have a power greater than the government greater than you know great wealth greater than whatever it may be you possess that power um and and i think it's really neat to kind of get shaken up sometimes and see that you know what we're are we depending on the right thing right or do we realize that we can depend solely on god His power rests in us and that we can be the hands and feet.
0: You know, I've been thinking about that a lot with because currently in Nashville and in Alabama and Georgia, we're having a gas shortage. Yes. You know, and (laughs) I thought, man, this is a really interesting situation because Mm -hmm. one thing like this can really alter how we live our lives and what we're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And I have to drive a lot to a bunch of cities. I go on like a eight day run tomorrow. Mm And I'm like, OK, Lord, you're just going to have to make a way like you have to be enough. Now, I'm not like, God, fill my car with gas. Right. right. Like, but I'm like, OK, I all I know to do is believe that you've put these dates on the calendar, mm-hmm. believe that you will make a way for me to get there and believe that gas will be where I need it to be. Yeah. Or the plan is different than I think it is. And we'll get there and be stuck in Montgomery, Alabama for four extra days. I don't know. But, you know, like (laughs) it's what it's the same thing. It's like, okay, I have to believe that God is who he says he is. Right. And even in something as simple as gas not being equal, easily available to us right now, you have to go like he's still God. He still has plans. And I'm still going to go after those plans until he tells me something different. Right. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. I think. Um, You know, the times where what we depend on is shaken up are some of the most beautiful times, because that is what draws true faith out of us. Um, Faith to believe that maybe we've got sort of our dependencies in the wrong place. Um, Faith to stretch, uh, stretch us, stretch what we believe, what we think, to see if our answer is still yes to what God calls us to, even when it doesn't look like it's going to be easy.
0: Right. Um,
1: It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you can... Yeah, you can see that that picture in that parallel in big events and you can see it in small events, but I think we we have to walk day to day constantly reassessing what am I actually depending on and um, what am I comfortable in and what am I robbing of myself in growth and dependence and faith when I'm putting my hope in these other things actually.
0: Man, that's one of the reasons I don't like the song Oceans, dude, because it's like, (laughs) take me past. Hey, didn't
1: you have a blog post about that once?
0: (laughs) And I still don't feel it. I mean, I really don't. I don't feel I don't feel oceans because it's it's saying take me past, you know, where my trust can be. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I mean, I don't know if I mean that. I don't want to sing that unless I know that I mean that. Because even yesterday I was riding in the car and I was saying to the Lord about this one situation. I was like, this is actually too hard for me. Like, yeah, I thought this was going to be fun and easy and it's not. So I'd prefer if this wasn't happening like this. And I think the Lord right. just is like laughs at me in moments like that. So what does that actually look like, though, Mo? Like for me, for example, with the gasoline, I can't actually the Lord's not actually unless he does a miracle going to fill my car with gas. Right. Which he right. can. He I totally believe that the Lord can just have my car <laughs> loaves and fishes all the way everywhere I need to go for the next se- seven days. I don't doubt that at all. But like on a day-to-day basis, when you go like, man, Lord, I need you because my daughter is running around like crazy. I gotta write another book. I've got a husband, a family, a job, a da da. What does that actually look like in your daily life?
1: Yeah. I really love that question because that is something that right now he's been revealing in such tremendous ways. And the ways he's been doing it for me, um, in, in my walk, in my life, is just really challenging me to clarify priorities and trusting that he is God. And so I say that in saying that um, this, this last book. So I (laughs) signed my book deal and a few days, a few days later found that I was pregnant um, with my daughter and went through, you know, the whole writing process of the book while traveling and speaking, while, you know, running my ministry, while progressing through a pregnancy, which can have so many unknowns and also just emotionally, mentally, it wears on you differently than just everyday life. And, um, you know, I just had to trust in those moments that, God, these these need to be Your words because mentally I'm zapped. I'm on a crunch line here, you know, a timeline. I don't know if you're this way, but I'm like nervous under pressure. Like if I went out jogging, I could jog for 10 miles if I was just able to go at my own pace. Right. But if someone said you need to jog this distance by this amount of time... Oh my gosh, it's like the pressure is on, (laughs) my lung gives out, it's rough. But I I just had to say, God, these these have to be your words because I'm strung uh, thin here and, and I don't even want this to be of me. I want this to be of you. This is your project and I'm being obedient and writing it, but you know all of my limitations here. So I will put my fingers to the keyboard, but it has to be your words pouring out. And, and you have to do with this book what you would see fit, because I just don't mentally, physically, emotionally have it in me right now. And so I trusted that process through the book writing. And I woke up and put my fingers to the keyboard. And I had late nights, you know, putting my fingers to the keyboard. God gives us hands and feet and a brain to be about His business right. and to, you know, be faithful in using them. But I really just rested when I closed the computer rested my spirit in in the truth that he was going to do what he was going to do and that he invited me into it, but it was not dependent on my strength, my abilities, my creative wording. And so I moved through the whole writing process that way. And then as you know, in, in publishing, it's a long process. And so you submit that manuscript and then there's months of edits. And then, you know, there's building a marketing plan and um, it becomes, you know, it's six to eight months of everything on the back end before that book ever hits the shelves. Well, I had had a baby. And so now I'm caring for a human. I'm learning to be a mother. I yeah, right. Like I've kept a human alive right. for nine months and that's a big deal. I've been meaning to cheer <laughs> for
0: you about that. Really well done. That's a, that's a
1: significant, especially considering And she's my... cute.
0: So that has a lot to do. Yeah, helps. <laughs>
1: it helps. It helps. Um. Um. But you know, I was raising her, learning a new role as a woman, as a mother. God's blowing up my heart in those ways and challenging. That's hard. That's hard, hard stuff. I'm still trying to operate my ministry. I'm still traveling and speaking. I'm still trying to be a wife and care for my home. And you know, so much of the editing process and that buildup process, I really was only able to give so much of myself. I, I again, I was taxed. I was worn thin and I said, God, this has to be you again. You have to show up here because I have a whole, you know, publishing house depending on my performance. But this isn't about my performance. It just can't be because I'll fall short, you know, and it was continuing to rest and trust in that.
0: And was that a little bit of a switch? Like, because when we think about soccer, I mean, it kind of was about your performance, right? And okay, so so, I mean, totally fine with that.
1: Yes, it was.
0: so So did you have to change your thinking?
1: Yes. And that's, that's where I was and building to It became, it was, so it's ingrained in me to compete. It is ingrained in me, my performance, my strengths, my abilities. It's, it's so in my nature and my character. And it makes me a great athlete, made me a great athlete, washed up at the moment. (laughs) Um, But it was key in that, in that success. But I found myself in a season where God was saying, the world says prioritize like this your work, your success, your brand first, you know, give that everything you have your family next. But, um, you know, they'll get the energy that's left of you after you've poured everything into your own self and then your relationship with God. So squeeze that in on Sunday or pray when you need it. Or, you know, we, we, I meet so many people that are at such tension and they're like, how do I fit God into my life? Well, that's because we're living by the world's the world's priority list of you first, others next, God last. And God met me in this time where I was as worn thin as could be and said, I have a priority list that stacks like this. Me first, God first, your heart and mine. You draw me near to me, I draw near to you. This relationship, and this is separate from a ministry. This is a soul's relationship with its creator.
0: Right, this is just talking about Mo's relationship with the Lord.
1: Yes, and all that he's speaking and challenging and doing in my heart. Then my family. Because when I feel like I've drawn near to God, when I know he is with me, when I have fully focused and recharged and prepared that way, I'm not giving my family what's left of me. I'm giving my family the best of me because I have been filled. And so next is your family, your role as a wife, your role as a mother, you know, caring for this child, pouring into this child, being present for your husband that's next. And then comes your work and your ministry. And I'm like, God, that doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a publishing house dependent on what I, answering the emails quickly enough, you know, dependent upon sending these things, doing these edits, all of this work. And, um, you know, I'm burning midnight oil here. And to be honest, it's kind of the last of my brain that's left. I'm fried by the end of the day. And, And God, again, this has to be you that does something with this, or I'm going to let a lot of people down. (laughs) I mean, I just, but I'll follow your priority list, God. I'll follow what you have written out in my heart on the pages of your word. I will follow how you say for this life to be lived according to the word, not according to the world. And God, I'm just going to trust that you meet every need, that your blessings and and your provision really flow to every avenue there that the way that you care for things is not a vertical stack, but it's a horizontal spread and that you're poured into all things. Um and I'm gonna trust you with it. And that book launched and released.
0: The book being Wreck My Life. You haven't even we haven't even we're just so talking to each other, we haven't even said to the people. It's called Wreck My Life by Mo Isom.
1: Yes, Wreck My Life, Journey from Broken to Bold. Available on Amazon now there or Barnes and Noble. I mean it's 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 out there. But um that book released and for you know, two weeks leading up for two weeks after, I, it was it was <laughs> everything I could possibly give of myself in a sure thought that it wasn't going to be enough.
0: And what is enough? What was, what were you defining as enough? It wasn't going to be enough. What does that mean?
1: I, to me, it really, I thought that it wasn't going to be um, enough sales. It wasn't going to be enough traction built. It wasn't going to be enough eyes on the book. It wasn't going to, in the publisher's eyes, Launch well enough, whatever that means. You know, I'm looking at other Christians and how they're doing things with their ministry, and it seems so incredible. And then I look at my own life, and I've got a baby latched to my chest like a barnacle, and (laughs) I haven't showered, and I'm working from home, and I hardly am even having time to sit down at my computer to do this launch well. And I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking, God, do you even see me? (laughs) Like, this has been a two year process, and here I am. Loving everything that you've created and and called me to in this life, but really just not able to do it all on my own. I just can't give everything a hundred percent of myself. and I'm following your priority list, God, but is it gonna be pleasing enough to the editors? Is it gonna you know get enough sales? Is it going to do what everyone thinks it's going to do? I'm not on my third or fourth book with a well-established ministry. I'm a first- time author working from home by myself. and God, you know, It just has to be you. And through that whole two years of that wrestling match in my heart and that priority list shift and that full dependence and trust that God, it just has to be you, that you are God. You will do with this what you see fit. You are sovereign. You are holy. You've called me to such a time as this. I'm doing the best I can, but the best I can is is probably not the best in the world. You know, it's just the best I can. It's the best of myself and God, you do the rest. And then we get a call that it's a New York Times bestseller. I mean, it's just, it makes no sense. It makes no logical sense, but it is illogical grace. It is the illogical sovereignty of God. It's that illogical faith that brings me through every season of life where times seem hard and things seem tough that I can really rest and trust that God is enough and he will do with all what he sees fit. And if it hadn't been a New York Times bestseller, that's okay too. Because my heart and my hope was that God would put it in the hands of people who need it. And I fully believe every single day that he's doing that. Yeah. And so maybe I would have gotten you know, a grumble from my publisher. Maybe it wouldn't have been the sales number that people hoped. That would have been fine if it had been falling into the hands of people who needed that testimony. That really would have still been enough.
0: Yeah, tell a little bit, tell us, uh, like kind of give us a couple of sentences on what Wreck My Life is about.
1: Um, oh goodness, it's it's testimony. It really is testimony. I love that scripture um, reminds us that that sin, that Satan is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. There's power in our stories. And um, it was really amazing to get the chance to to write mine. And and get it out there, but it's really a testimony of um, just incredible adversity and incredible successes and, and highs as well. Um, and and it moves through and shares, you know, some of my athletic story, but also just the peeling back of that layer and the humanity of incredible struggle and adversity through my life with with control issues um, very early on, and and you know a lack of really understanding this faith walk, kind of a, a faith by inheritance in God that that resulted in, you know, not really knowing who I was or whose I was that resulted in control issues that manifested into a really vicious eating disorder and gets really candid about all of that. Um, and it moves through, you know, struggles that we had in our home, um, that were very unspoken of, but my dad's struggles with pornography that I was then exposed to. And, you know, um, struggles in my relationship with him and, and, and then his eventual suicide that the book really dives into in a, in a pretty raw way. Um,
0: yeah. Was that hard? I mean, was that hard for you and your family for you to write as honest as you did?
1: It really was. It, yeah. it really was hard for a while to feel like I had the permission to write about a man who wasn't alive and able to defend himself. Sure. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, that, You know, I was able to write about my dad's demons and then ultimately his death. And, you know, really, I think that the book does a beautiful job of painting a very full picture of my dad and a full picture of then the redemption and the forgiveness in the end. But um, I struggled a while of wondering what family members would think about that. People who love my dad and I love my dad, but, you know. When you start writing about family, <laughs> oh, you, 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 yeah, girl, I know, you know what I mean. It, it, it's hard. And um, yeah, it's just
0: hard because none of the humans in our lives signed up to be parts of books. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. But that's exactly. our calling. And so you have to balance. How do I tell the truth of my life without telling from their life what they don't want public?
1: Right. And I, you know, they sign a little form that, uh, that, that gives the legal rights for all of them, right. it, but it really there's a lot more to that it. That make it feel better
0: at Christmas. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> at a family reunion, if that helps you right. sleep. Um, right. But it was really beautiful to have my mom in my corner through the writing process too, because so much of my story is her story too. And um, it's a very different perspective. It's, you know, a very different role that, that I was in the story than Than she was, and I wanted it to reflect well on her. But I also, she granted me full permission to be honest for the glory of God, and that that was going to be hard, and it would probably be messy in parts. And you know, but but she she just loves Jesus, and she just knows that there's more to this life than protecting our self image. There are souls to be saved, and a lot of the times, our rawness and our vulnerability has the power to invite people into an eternity. Um, with Jesus and and so that was helpful there but it was hard and, and you know I move on to to share about my own most broken pieces. I mean promiscuity, depression, anxiety, just really running to to any sin-sized piece I could find to fill the God-sized hole in my heart and um, eventually then God's just intersection of all of that shares about the car accident and really chapter seven is my favorite chapter in the whole book because it talks about, The insane, incredible, overwhelming moments that the Holy Spirit just interrupted my life. And God just revealed himself to me in his nature and his character in such incredible ways. And so that's a lot of involuntary wreckage that occurred in my life. And the second half of the book then moves through the voluntary wreckage that encountering the gospel invites, that we are then free and able and capable to say, God, wreck my life, wreck my obsessions, my dependencies, the lies I believe, the chains around my life, wreck whatever you need to wreck because your works are good. And, you know, all of that hardship, all of that adversity that is navigated through, through the first half of the book, God, I see now the scales have fallen from my eyes and I see how the enemy waged battle after battle, but I really trust and believe that you have won the war. And that you have taken that wreckage and you will use it for your glory. And so if, if it takes you wrecking everything or allowing things to be wrecked um, for your will to be done, then God wreck whatever you need to moving forward. And, and I'm no longer trying to fit you into my story. I am an agent of yours and you reserve the right and, and the freedom to do whatever you would with our lives for your will to be done. And so God, let that be the anthem of my life, that, that your will be done. Um, and I'll embrace this adversity as sacred rather than scarring. Yeah. And I'll, I'll hold That's fast good. to Romans 5, 3 through 5 that calls me to rejoice in my adversity because it produces perseverance and character and hope and hope in the Holy Spirit never fails. I will trust God that in this world, I will face trouble, but I will have courage because you have overcome the world and I believe that promise. And so the book just dives into a lot of pain and a lot of adversity and a lot of struggle. And then it is interrupted by a lot of hope, a lot of clarity, a lot of strength, redemption, forgiveness. And um, it moves through what life then looked like for me after coming to know that grace.
0: Man, I love at the end, not, not the conclusion, but the last chapter where you quote Psalm 119 that says, my suffering was good for me because it, it taught, taught me, me to pay to attention pay. to your decrees. Yeah. Yes that
1: is so good and that is the most it's it's illogical it's illogical that we would think in that way yeah that we would ever say my suffering is good but that's illogical grace that's a god we serve who doesn't who who doesn't make sense <laughs> who we're not called to make sense of we're just called to trust in and i can see that i can see that my suffering was good for me cuz it did cause me to pay attention to his decrees. And I I hope that we can become a generation, that we can become women, that we can become people who grab a hold of that and don't let go, who really do believe that and trust in that and trust in God's sovereignty in all things, in the chaos and the successes, in the valleys and the mountaintops. And I, I, I hope that this book just gets naked and raw and real and shares my baggage to invite Others to embrace what they think their baggage is to, and to surrender it.
0: Oh, preach, girl! Come on with it, girl.
1: I'm sweating, and that means the Holy (laughs) Spirit has been present.
0: (laughs) Girl, that's right. I can hear. I mean, I, I I just know you, and I know that the reason there's so much power in what you wrote and what you say is because it's how you live and what you actually believe. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who can write books about things that don't actually reflect who they are, and you have written a book that really reflects who you are and what you believe. So I, I just Thank you. super proud to be your friend. It's amazing. Okay. So the last question I love to ask people while we're getting our preach oh, on is yes. because it's the, the, that sounds fun podcast. Yes. I need you to tell me what sounds fun to you right now.
1: Uh, what, what sounds fun to me right now in this exact moment or like in my life as a whole.
0: Yeah. Like if you could do anything, what would be fun? What sounds fun to you right now? What are you doing? I
1: just got this vision, right as
0: you said that, I
1: have no clue why, but of a water balloon fight. Oh, yes. <laughs> that makes no sense, but I why, just... It,
0: of course it makes sense. You're sweaty. It's very
1: fun. I'm sweaty. It's beautiful outside. I'm looking out a window, and I have a baby downstairs that if I threw a water balloon at her, it would be the funniest thing I could ever experience. Oh, sure. She might not like right, it. But... but you know.
0: You know the reality of <laughs> but the it. But it would be fun. Do you know the thing about... Water balloon fights. The problem with water balloon fights is there's so much setup for such a short payoff.
1: Hey, I've got an interruption to that complaint. (laughs) Okay, tell me. A a babies are us or a toys are us. There is an invention out there, and it it's amazing. It it. Oh my goodness, we need to Amazon or Google this. Yes, um, because I'm going to have a hard time painting the visual. Essentially, you take this thing out of the package, and it looks like 300 tentacles hanging okay. from this one hookup. You hook it up to the hose. It, it fills, fills them all, up all the at balloons at once oh, with water. Wow, 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 wow. And then it does something where when you pull it off, it seals all of them. So you don't have to go try to tie.
0: What? It ties them? You don't have to tie them?
1: Mo, I'm pretty positive. We need to Google it, but I'm pretty positive. I almost stopped in my tracks the other day when I was in a Toys R Us. And I was like, oh, God is real. This is real. Mo, this could happen.
0: If your book hits New York Times for another month on the sports list, as you were number 11 on sports in New York Times bestseller lists, um, we're doing it. That's how we're celebrating. We're doing it. At we're doing Water balloon it. fight. I will order that thing next month when your book hits.
1: <laughs> There will be glitter. There will be water balloons. Oh my God.
0: Wow, wow, <laughs> wow. Um, Mo, thanks for coming on the podcast and just telling us. I mean, I, I feel like I need to go journal for a minute is what I want to do next. <laughs> just thinking about what we talked about. But thank you for using your time when your baby is downstairs waiting on a water balloon fight to hang out with us. Yes. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This
1: is a treat. And Annie, I know that your friends and your listeners know, but, and I know you know this, but I want to affirm you and the incredible work that you're doing for the kingdom and the way that you make it fun and relatable and raw and honest. And it's just he just glows from you in so many different ways and you provide me with so much more leadership and guidance than you ever know because I stalk your life
0: and so (laughs) and we get on the phone we also know how to find each other (laughs) yeah we do
1: that we do that but mostly I stalk more than you'd probably be comfortable with and so you're doing an an incredible work too
0: and and I just love seeing it The girl can preach, right? I'm telling you, that is just life with Mo. For as long as we have been friends, life with her is about asking a simple question and the Lord just bringing a word out of that simple question is just amazing. I love, love getting to hear from her. I'm telling y'all, I have walked this story with her. I have read the book a lot of times. I endorse the book. I absolutely believe in what Mo is saying in the book, and I think you will really love it. Again, it's called Wreck My Life. Her name is Mo Isom. I'll spell it for you. M-O-I-S-O-M. And that's how you can find her, Moisom.com at Mo Isom and social media. That is where she is. So man, I just have so many takeaways from that conversation that I cannot wait to just think through. And just even the part where she talked about redefining our priorities and making sure they're in the right place. It is so easy to put work and family and friends and all that ahead of like actual time with the Lord and how different is my day and how different are our days when we choose him first it's just amazing so thank you for joining us and listening today I hope you really enjoyed it as always I'm super easy to find if you need me Annie F Downs all over the place F as in fancy Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook website, blog, all of it Annie F Downs Um, and you can just find me and I am there for you And as always in the background is my lovely, wonderful friend, Ellie Holcomb. Her album, As Sure as the Sun, is one of my very favorites that I go back to on about a weekly basis, and it's a year or plus older, and I absolutely love it. So we are thankful that she lets us use some of her tunes to welcome you and, sadly, to say goodbye, as we will do now. So thanks so much for joining Mo and I today as we just got to hang out and chat like we do over coffee, and I was so, so glad to introduce her to you. So make sure you grab her book, Wreck My Life. Make sure you say hi to her on on social media and tell her how much you enjoyed hearing her on the that sounds fun podcast and as you're checking out other podcast episodes or heading back over that way if you wouldn't mind leaving a review and rating the podcast that way people who aren't already friends with us will know that they are welcome here and it's a fun place to be so y'all have a really great day and i hope you do something today that sounds really fun to you bye